Welcome one, welcome all to the Geek Galaxy Video Game Show, Episode 1. I am your host, David Gable. Now, some of you may be wondering, who the heck is this guy? Well, I am the guy who runs the Geek Galaxy blog. I write the posts, I monitor the news for it, I do it all. And now I'm growing into the podcast region. That's right, that's right. I'm going to try and share my thoughts uh, vocally. Uh, a little off the cusp a little bit more, and hopefully we get something good out of this. So here's how my podcast show is going to work. I am going to take four topics that are popular and kind of impressive throughout the week. Um, one that will generally be related to all video game systems, One, and then three that will be uh, kind of genre-specific. So you'll get the one for... Uh, Xbox, the one for PS4, and the one for Nintendo. I am sorry, I don't do PC. It's not really my forte, and I don't want to sit here and just kind of talk about PC without really having any exterior experience of it, because I feel like that's misrepresenting the medium a little bit. And that's just something I'm not really up for. So before we get started on any actual talking, um, I'll introduce myself a little bit. Uh, as I said, my name is David Gable. Uh, I am living over here in Germany. Um, my family is over here due to um, servicing in the armed forces. My father is a soldier. Um, and I am in a school, a pretty much online school. Most of my classes are online. I have little interaction with other students. Um, if I were to describe myself as a student, I'm probably, probably B-range. Not that I'm I'm okay. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. I'm I'm okay at studies. I do pretty well. Um not great at everything though. I'm not a mathematician. I love history, uh I like science, um, but my real love is the nerd culture, the movies, video games, comic books, all that stuff. Um but this podcast in particular is gonna be directed towards video games. So without further ado, um let's get started. Alright, so topic number one. Far Cry Primal was announced with a debut trailer. Now, Ubisoft Studios just released the trailer for their new upcoming game um, called Far Cry Primal. Uh, it's described as followed. Set in 10,000 BC, Far Cry Primal follows Takar, a seasoned hunter and the last surviving member of his hunting group. As players survive in the land Oros, players will have to craft weapons and tools, partly from the bones of slain beasts, Hunt for food, master fire, fend off fierce predators, and fight other tribes in order to conquer Oros. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with the way Far Cry works, it is basically an open-world first-player shooter game where, more often than not, the objective will be to take down some sort of imposing enemy. Um, in the past, there's been scenarios where... Uh, one may be caught in the middle of a civil war, and other scenarios where you're just trying to save your friends from a band of pirates. Um... In terms of Far Cry history, I did not get into the series until Far Cry 3. Far Cry 3 was so much fun to me. Uh, the shooting was tight. The controls were sl um, not, not slim. The controls were swift, and they were precise. I want to say. Um, and then Far Cry 4, much of the same. Uh, some new features, such as the abilities to um, call on animals a little more efficiently. In fact, I think call on animals at all. I don't know. It's been a while since I've played Far Cry games, I'll be honest. Um, but yeah, I enjoy the Far Cry games. I think they're great. 
um, first-person shooters. I think they're top. They're definitely up there with things like Call of Duty. Um, maybe not so much in shooter, shooter um, specific alone, but I definitely say they're entertaining experiences. And if you haven't picked up a Far Cry game yet, um, with parents' permission, of course, uh, you should. I think you know it's a it's a fun time. Far Cry Primal was actually a bit of a surprise to me. I was not expecting them to pull off something like this. Um, something that's a game with mechanics that totally uh, go against the flow of the original series, you know? Um, I mean, there are aspects of all Far Cry games that you can use and kind of transition into th something set in a BC era, such as bow hunting, um, using melee weapons. <clears throat> but... The thing about Far Cry is it's very shooter-oriented and very modern-oriented. You get to drive cars, you get to use, um, you know, automatic weaponry, and you get to fly things. And those are all things that, in a BC era, they just, they're obviously not there. I'm a little interested in terms of the thought behind it, because it's definitely something interesting. If Ubisoft was trying to go over something that nobody's done before, there you go. Far Cry Primal. Nobody's ever done that before. You get it, you're going to be able to hunt mammoths. You're going to be able to fight saber-toothed tigers. There's even rumors that you're going to have a saber-toothed tiger pet. You get to dominate a land with bare wits of what humanity had at the time. And this all sounds pretty fascinating. I'm just wondering how the Far Cry demographic is going to take it. Because I'm not necessarily the Far Cry demographic. I buy the games when they're a little cheaper. Just because... They're not necessarily things I got to rush out for, DLC-wise or anything like that, with all the um, you know day one packs. Um, but the thing about Far Cry Primal is, like I said, it stylistically it drifts away from the nature of what Far Cry, what a Far Cry game is. Um, the The trailer depicts a group of four, a group of you and a group of four hunting down a herd of woolly mammoths, which could be fun. I think it's, it looks fantastic. I mean, the visuals are impressive, to say the least. But that's usually not how Far Cry... Far Cry has stealth elements, but there's always the aspect where you can just go and shoot them up, you know? Which I think a lot of people um, respond to really well if they're not so much of a stealth game fan. And I'm not saying that this is going to be a stealth game necessarily, but it sounds like it's going to be a long trudge through of a game if that makes any sense so what i mean i guess what i mean by that is when i say you're really going to have to work on these skills like just like the people in 10,000 bc now that's just me speculating personally but i think if ubisoft were to do something where it's just like oh it's just one tutorial to learn how to make fire that'd be kind of bogus i mean i assume you'd have to do things like find the proper materials and maybe um, work with someone on it um, even though you may know how to start a fire your character might not. And there are aspects like that that I'm incredibly intrigued about because 10,000 BC was a different time, you know? It was just an aspect of history where, you know, development was slow. It was sluggish, especially if you were a hunter-gatherer like the game depicts you as. So, in essence, I am personally excited. I can't wait to see because this is something that's pretty new. Like... In terms of my history, I don't think anyone has done this in at least the last five years, which you can correct me if I'm wrong, you know, um, but it's pretty interesting and I'm excited for it um, and I'd love to see and I can't wait to see what the feedback is going to be from the rest of the world about it. <clears throat> All right, so 
Moving on to our Xbox-oriented news topic. Rise of the Tomb Raider is expected to be about 30 to 40 hours long. Uh, this is coming from IGN.com, by the way. They reported this. Um, the lead designer at Crystal Dynamics, who is named Mike Brinker, has revealed that Rise of the Tomb Raider will be wider and deeper, featuring about 30 to 40 hours for the completionists to play. This will significantly affect features like the skill tree, which will now boast about 50 skills, each with about four tiers of upgrades. Now... Tomb Raider is a stellar game. Visuals are fantastic. The gameplay is tight. It's, again, it's similar to Far Cry in a lot of ways. Although, you're playing a female character, and it's in a third-person perspective. And it's a lot of... I think, I think uh, Tomb Raider is a lot more nitty-gritty than Far Cry would be. Far Cry would be a little more comedic, while Tomb, Tomb Raider really is nitty-gritty. It is more hardcore than probably Indiana Jones and Uncharted combined. It, and that's what and that surprised me immensely. Um because I when I went in I was kind of expecting that same kind of uh, experience, an Uncharted experience or a Indiana Jones experience. I thought it was going to be a little fun, but no. Rise of the Tomb Raider is intense action. Um and now let me just say think about Rise of the Tomb Raider. I love the new environment that they got coming up with it. Um, the snow is definitely going to be something that's interesting. I know games have tried to do snow before and haven't always been successful with it. Um, for one example, I can cite Assassin's Creed 3. I'll defend Assassin's Creed 3. I like that game. But when it was winter, when the winter months were around, uh, trudging through that snow in the wilderness was a bit of a pain in the butt. Um, I would normally just stick to the tracks by that point. Um, so that was annoying. But... <clears throat> Rise of the Tomb Raider, I think, has a lot going for it. It's going to be Microsoft exclusive for one year, um, which hopefully gets them a few more console sales, which would be great. Um, it's going to feature a strong female character, which we really don't have in modern games, which is a shame. I mean, most games will feature the ability to play a female character, such as Fallout, Skyrim, um, Mass Effect. But those aren't the cover characters, and I think everyone knows that and identifies that. And I think that's why it's, it, it was a brilliant move on Microsoft's part to purchase Rise of the Tomb Raider. And giving fans about 30 to 40 hours worth of campaign to play to get 100% completion, that's fantastic. Um, now the question I have to ask is, will it get monotonous? Because I think, even with some of the best games, there comes a point when getting that 100% completion just, it becomes a chore, you know? Um, I think even the completionists will say, no, I just want, I wanted it because, you know, I needed all those achievements or I needed all those trophies and I wanted to do it. I wanted to prove to my friends, uh, which I can appreciate, but I think the average gamer ends up feeling like, geez, I just played the story and I only have, what, 50% done? What else do I got to do, you know? And, you know, it's all about what you want to get for your buck. I think 40, 30 to 40 hours is pretty decent time for 60 for what is going to be a $60 game. Um, in short, Rise of the Tomb Raider will has a lot, has, again, has a lot going for it. Um, it's going to be fun with its new weather um, dynamism um, in terms of how that interacts with the character. Um, and I am looking forward to seeing how it all turns out because I think games like Tomb Raider need to be popping up more to show that you don't, have to have a male figure um, in order to have an entertaining story. And I think people understand that. It's just about whether or not you can breach that. Because the thing about Tomb Raider is also, it's, it's an institution at this point. 
Um, people recognize Lara Croft. Um, is it Lara or Lara? I can never remember if it's Lara or Lara. I think it's Lara. Everyone wants to say Lara, but it was Lara. Yeah, Conan said that. Uh, <laughs> referencing Conan in my trying to be very official games podcast. <laughs> anyway, um, it'll be it's great. It hopefully uh, this game will do well uh, because we all need uh, strong female figures in our video games. People clamor for it, and developers want to do it. It's just about whether or not it's it's about the risk versus reward. And yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm spewing. Get, dis, disregard that last statement. But I'm excited for Rise of the Tomb Raider because I think good games with female protagonists need to be prevalent a little bit more. And hopefully, series like Tomb Raider kind of encourages developers to do that as well. And 34 hours, more bang for your buck. Simple as that. All right, moving on to our third topic. It is the Sony topic, the PlayStation topic. Um, it's just been revealed that there might be a possible PlayStation 4 price drop coming to the United States. Um, according to Target's website, the PS4 will be receiving a $50 price drop in the United States. This is following the speculation that fans had after hearing at Tokyo Game Show that Japan will be receiving a price drop for the PS4. Uh, many people have been expecting that this pattern to, will follow into the other territories, Europe, Australia, United States. Um, now, think about PS4. PS4 is a fantastic system. Uh, a lot of people are playing on it. A lot of people are enjoying it. I still think, online-wise, Microsoft is so p superior, um, but that's for you to make your own opinions about. Um, this this will do nothing good. Nothing but good for the company, excuse me. Um, I honestly, I think the PS4 is in a good enough place where they don't really need a price drop. Be that as it may, we know that... PlayStation has no new uh, first-party developed games coming to its system this, uh, this holiday season. We know that the PS4 is going to be a little bit of a slow burn. They've got, they've got, they've got games that they have partners with, like Battlefront, and they've got um, Destiny, Taking King, doing very well. But the hardcores are going to be are going to have that by this time. They're going to have it in the first three weeks, and they're going to be playing it nonstop. What PlayStation really needs to do is to win over everyone who's been holding back uh, last generation. And this will do that, I think. I think if they drop it $50 to $350 and they put it in a nice bundle, like a Nathan Drake collection bundle um, or a Last of Us bundle, that would be... At the end of the day, very um, that would be a good choice for them because you still want people buying your console, especially in the holiday season, especially when you don't have any first-party support. So if this were to happen, uh, it wouldn't be surprising to me, um, and it would bode nothing but good for the company. Um, and I think that's what Sony's trying to do because they, un they understand that they don't have any exclusives while um, Xbox is just throw an exclusive after exclusive with all their game bundles. Um, I can go on. They have a Tomb Raider bundle, just like we were talking about. They have a Lego movie bundle, um, which is a bit odd, but it's catering towards the younger fans, obviously. Um, they've got a Fallout bundle. Like, that's crazy. They got Fallout in their bundle. PS4 has um, Nathan Drake, and they've got Battlefront. they got a Battlefront exclusive console coming out, but 
that's about it. They have and the uh, the Nathan Drake collection is going to be their only, uh, not their only, but it's going to be their biggest first party launch. And, that, and most people are probably going to have that game already. Um, so a fifty dollar price drop in the U.S. They're just going to see the money coming right in. Um, it's it's a guarantee. It's a guarantee. So it's nothing but good for them. So good for Sony for hopefully making this thing a reality. All right. So our final topic of the Geek Galaxy video game show is Ocarina of Time's Kakariko Village recreated in the Unreal Engine. The iconic Legend of Zelda Village was recreated by YouTuber Artist Astorius, all one word, and it looks absolutely beautiful. Now this video is a little old, and the news is a bit old on it, but I just want to talk about it again, because it's still, the, I think, the most dominant Nintendo news that has come out thus far. And it's not even licensed by Nintendo. It's not even released by Nintendo. That's a funny thing. So basically, what this guy, Artist Astorius, did was he recreated the Kakariko Village using the Unreal Engine, using Photoshop, using all these um, different pieces of software. And it looks absolutely stunning. If you haven't seen it yet, I will make sure to put the link to YouTube in the, um, in the description. But let me just describe what it looks to you. It looks like Legend of Zelda should belong on Xbox One or PlayStation 4. I mean, it's absolutely stunning. The shadows are dynamic. The, the grass looks lush and beautiful. The water looks like it's... The water looks truly reflective. The sun shines on all the color. The colors, man. The colors are vibrant. They make, you, they make it look like a real world. Link himself, he's not a blocky polygon like he was. And I'm not comparing it to the links of now, but to the link of, of Ocarina of Time. He looks so well-defined and created, and he moves with such grace. It's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's unbelievable. And I think it shines a light on the lacking that Nintendo has done in terms of game development. Now, listen. I am one of the biggest Nintendo fans that I think is out there right now. I'm going to defend them neck and neck. Um, I'm not going to say that they haven't made bad choices in the past couple of years, but I'm going to say that they're still a legitimate game company. I think they still have a little bit more time before, um, God forbid, they end up going the Sega route and just completely botching it. Um, the interesting, See, the interesting thing, I think most people haven't, gotten a Wii U because they feel it's insuperior. Okay, first off, the Wii U doesn't have third-party support. The Wii U is graphically um, inferior to the Xbox One and PS4. And see, it's, an, it's, 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 it's such a delicate topic. Not even a delicate topic, but it's such a divisive topic, um, what Ninten Nintendo at this point, if you can believe it. Um, but what I think... This recreation of Kakariko Village with the Unreal Engine 4, I think, yeah, the Unreal Engine 4, it's, it shines a light on one of Nintendo's biggest setbacks right now, which is the visuals, I think, because um, their games could be so geared to making something so fantastic looking, and I think, the, I think Nintendo would actually be serviceable with it, you know, they'd, I think they'd have a little bit more of a better reputation in terms of uh, design. Uh, graphical design at this moment, not game design. Game design, they're still top-notch. Um, but I think they'd have a little bit more of an edge if 
fans saw Legend of Zelda looking as beautiful as something like The Witcher. Um, and see, something like this, it needs to be discussed. Because otherwise, I don't know. The thing about it, it I'm just slipping over my own words right here. But my, my whole point is I'm trying, to, I'm trying to say is this kind of displays the fact that Nintendo's in a play Nintendo's in a very touchy place right now where they're kind of trying it seems to advance and catch up with where everyone else is but they're trying to stay rooted in their traditional values so it's gameplay over graphics and I think a lot of people appreciate that when it comes to Nintendo but I think also a lot of fans are getting to the point where it's like okay Nintendo we get it what's the hold up at this point though and I'm not going to I'm not going to pretend to know um, the entire business aspects of it, I don't. E I can't even recall if they denied using the Unreal Engine four, or if the Unreal Engine is denied to be used from them. I would doubt it highly, um, but I I can't remember on the spot. But it it really it makes me as a fan feel a little disappointed and happy at the same time. Disappointed because I'm seeing this beauty that this video recreates and just what Nintendo could do with that would be stellar in terms of their game design and in terms of their talents. And it makes me disappointed that I'm not seeing that coming from them yet. Not even in their newest Wii U game, like that CG trailer that we saw. Um, it looks great for Wii U and that's probably gonna come at the end of the cycle. Maybe even not. But it's just, it's, it's a darn shame, you know? And it makes me wonder, where's Nintendo going to be by this time next year? I mean, are, is the NX hopefully what it will be, what everyone is expecting it to be, to be the ultimate Nintendo console, to catch up with where Xbox and PlayStation are? Or is it just going to be more of the same? I doubt it'll be more of the same. I think Nintendo's learned its lesson after the Wii U launch. I think it's heard its fans. I think it's responded to its fans in terms of what they want. And I think they're ready to move on and grow from this experience. But I don't know. I don't know, guys. It's, it's a dilemma. And it's, it's, diff it's difficult to talk about because there's so many different factors that go into it. And if you don't know them all, then you're kind of left in, at an impasse. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. The video, again... Looks fantastic. I wish Nintendo was doing it themselves because, because it looks stellar, because it's something that Nintendo should be doing. But, alas, we are still graced with fantastic games. Wind Waker HD was great. Um, Super Mario games have been great coming on the Nintendo console. But they're not what I think everyone is still clamoring for, what they get from Xbox and PlayStation. They want that from Nintendo. Now, at this point, it's a matter of what Nintendo will offer them. All right, you guys, uh, that is the news breakdown, the news topic breakdown. Um, stick around real quick, and I will get back to my game features of this week. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Geek Galaxy Video Game Show, Episode 1. 
Now we're talking about the featured games. Now this section is broken down into the two different parts. An anticipated game, which I'm looking forward to seeing in the upcoming months, and then the ga featured game of the week. Um, the first part of it, the anticipated game, I'll just talk about why I'm excited for the upcoming game, um, what I, any worries I might still have with the game, but ov my overall anticipation level for it. The featured game of the week will be either a game that I've just recently played and that I really enjoyed, or a game that I kind of recall upon from years back and was either enjoyed it or disappointed by it. Could vary. Uh, it's really just whatever game kind of crosses my mind at the time um, that I would like to actually share my thoughts on. So, the anticipated game of this week, Star Wars Battlefront. Now, for those of you who don't know, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I love Star Wars. It gives me so much joy. I remember... Actually, I don't even remember how I started. I rem The way I remember it, I was about four years old, four to five years old, and I think it started with the Lego sets. I was a big Lego kid when I was a kid. Um, and I got the Lego Star Wars sets, and I thought they were just cool, man. The lightsabers especially, those were so cool. The little Jedi were so cool. I remember getting the uh, Lego Anakin Sand People attack. And Count Dooku versus Yoda. Those were like my first two Lego sets. And those were dope, man. And then my third set, I definitely remember, was Moss Eisley Space Bar. Because I still have my little exclusive Greedo figure. Who has not shown up, to my knowledge, anywhere, anytime since. And it was glorious. It was so much fun. Because I got Luke, I got Ben, I got C-3PO, I got R2-D2, I got Han Solo, I got Greedo, and I got a Stormtrooper. That was, it was so cool. I mean, the minifigures sold it the most for me as I got older. But... Anyway, I got introduced to Star Wars through the Lego sets, and eventually I watched the movies with my dad, and dude, I was hooked. I was hooked. Now, also, let me preface by saying I'm one of those kids who, likes the pre who enjoys the prequels. I acknowledge that they're bad, and I can appreciate if you don't like them, but man, the prequels, the prequels were what were for me growing up, you know? And the fact that I enjoyed the original so much, and then I was party age where I was still getting new Star Wars movies, like off the bat, that was awesome for me it was fantastic and i loved it and so that's why um prequels are still with me i enjoy them i enjoy everything i enjoy a lot of stuff that star wars is putting out right now i've enjoyed the clone wars i enjoy uh rebels what i can catch it and i'm so you know i'm stoked for episode seven but that's not the point the point of this is star wars battlefront i was also a big fan of star wars battlefront you know as a kid I had friends who had Xboxes and Playstations, and I got to play them over there. Um, they were a lot better. I, I, essentially, I eventually got the game for Playstation Portable, which is still pretty solid. I enjoy my time playing um, Battlefront on PSP. And now I have the actual games um, now. I went and found them, and I love them still. So much fun. Um, when I heard Battlefront was coming back uh, from a company like DICE, you know, the Battlefield King, I was like, hell yeah, this game's going to be dope. We're going to have fun. We're going to shoot each other with lasers. Maybe fly around in spaceships. <laughs> anyway, um, I was stoked to hear about Battlefront. And I was really, uh, I was stoked is essentially what I was saying. As the news came out for Battlefront, as it kept being revealed, as it kept just, uh, you know, uh, tum tumbleweeding through the, through the months, Got a little less psyched, I'll be honest. Um, for one thing, I was a little disappointed to hear a campaign was going to be omitted from the game. Because 
me personally, I get into, I get intimidated by multiplayer games sometimes. Um, if I don't have a campaign to be able to practice on it, I just, I really won't go into the multiplayer all that much. Um, a perfect example I can give is uh, Transformers Fall for Cybertron, which I don't think is multiplayer oriented anyway, but albeit, alas. Um, I played the campaign in that game. Love Fall of Cybertron, by the way. Love the campaign for it. And I went into multiplayer feeling pretty confident in my skills. And I got my, I got my butt handed to me a couple times. I'm not going to lie. I got my butt handed to me. But um, there was a better learning curve because I had experienced how to play um, the different functions of the game in a, camp, in a controlled campaign mode where I could grow my own skills. And I really appreciated that. Um, and that wasn't even a hardcore shooter either, but people were good at it. Um, so the fact that Star Wars Battlefront is kind of keeping that away from me um, stinks a little bit. And it's a little too bad that we don't get some uh, new form of canon to play in a video game aspect, uh, because Star Wars has their whole, um, their whole uh, everything we make is canon, uh, which is essentially just story, official story. Um, and I'll make a, I'll make a post, I'll make a podcast about the canon later if I get enough feedback for it, if you guys want me to talk about it, because I can talk about it all the live long day. But anyway, Star Wars Battlefront. Um, I was a little disappointed to hear that it had no story. But, oh my god, then the trailers came out. First it was the co-op campaign, co-op trailer on what I believe was Tatooine, which was the, uh, the pod, the, the, uh, save the pod mode, defend the pod mode which looked really good in HD. Oh my god, you guys. It looked fantastic. Tatooine looks gorgeous. And I was I was super stoked by that point. Um I was pretty hooked on that game. But then, but that wasn't it. That wasn't it. Especially in recent times. Uh we've had a Battle on Hoth uh trailer that came out. And that gameplay again looks Oh, I don't even know where to say it. I'm I'm so ecstatic about this game by this point. Um, the Battle on Hoth, it looks dynamic. And the fact that um, there are going to be some elements of vehicle fighting in that, just like the original Battlefront, just makes me even more excited. Um, I especially like the first-person, third-person transition of the vehicles. So you can actually uh, feel what it's like to be inside the canopy of a TIE fighter, which I always thought was kind of cool. Um, and it's great, and that's also the place where they introduced um, the heroes and villains aspect of it. Now, to my, to my recollection, I'd have to definitely double-check this, but the way they're advertising it, I'm pretty sure that there is no prequels in this, which is a bummer for me because I still think there are aspects of the prequels, especially in terms of combat, that would be really cool, but anyway. Um, anyway, back to uh, the gameplay, the uh, hero-villain gameplay was introduced in Star Wars Battlefront 2, I believe. And that was that was okay. I mean, back then, I think it was a less okay. It was kind of subpar in terms of the shoot, in terms of comparison with the shooting. Um, so my only hope is that that gameplay style uh, ends up being a lot better in this aspect, in this this time around. Um, so I'm not. That's not the part I'm going to be looking forward to. Um, but there you go. Uh, and then there was the. Air, air missions, fighting, the dogfights, which I think was a great move. It's not space dogfights, mind you, but it is high-orbit dogfights, which is awesome, which is what I wanted to see. Um, and the hero-villain the hero, um, hero aspect of that is a little bit cooler. 
um, because you'll, uh, for example, the hero, you'll be able to choose the Millennium Falcon, and then in the villain, you could be uh, the Slave One, Boba Fett's ship, which I think lends itself to being a lot better because it's, um, it's going to be essentially the same control scheme, and it, just, it, does, it doesn't look as awkward, to be honest. Um, but then there's, but that, that was that. And, uh, recently there has been, um, the beta that just launched. Uh, I see a lot of people playing, um, on Sullust, the, uh, planet that's always kind of mentioned in the Star Wars universe, but never really seen. So it's cool that it's like this nice lava planet, but it isn't Mustafar. It's just all volcanic. It's a gray volcanic, like it's uh, all made of clay, which I think could be, I, th I think it's a pretty cool map and I'm excited to see that in action. Um... But like I said, yeah, I was a little disappointed to hear at first that there was no story mode and that I wouldn't be connecting with the other Star Wars um, movies or the comic books or anything like that. But I have kind of turned over a new leaf. They've sold me on their gameplay videos because it all looks tight. It all looks great. Um, visuals are fantastic. Graphics are amazing. Um, and I think it's going to be a fantastic game. Um, I would I'm, I might buy it. Uh, I'm not always a first-day buyer, but I might be for Star Wars Battlefront. Um, yeah, I am super stoked for that game. All right, moving on to our final subject of the week. It's the featured game of the week. Now, unfortunately, we got a negative game this week, but it was just on my mind, and I kind of had to talk about it. Um, game is Sonic Lost World. Now, Sonic has had a bit of a rough history as he's made his way into 3D. Um... I think many people can see where he's gone wrong in the past. Um, and I think I, I kind of empathize a little bit with Sega because they've, I've, heard, I've seen the development diaries. Um, I've read the articles about in terms of trying to make Sonic work in a 3D platform. Um, but that's, they're having trouble with that Z-axis implementation, man. Um, and what I mean by Z-axis is usually in a video game back in the day, there was two axes. There were two axes, which if you're familiar with math, you'll be familiar. The y-axis is up and down, the x-axis, left and right. Y-axis, up and down, left, uh, x-axis, left and right. That's, and that's basically the plane that they move on. Um, the z-axis is incorporated when you enter a 3D space. So you can move around, you can move all around on the x-axis um, in all the different directions. You can move up and down all around in the y-axis, but then there's also these other um, other uh, aspects. Um, think about think about a cube for a minute, right? You have your top, your bottom, right? The bottom, the uh, the lines going to the sides, x-axis, the lines going up and down, y-axis. But then there's all that space in the middle that represents the z-axis, the area where they can uh, move around a bit more freely. Sonic's had a bit of a rough time uh, making it there. But they were on a good track. I'll be honest. Sega was on a good path. They had Sonic Colors come out, which was pretty good, I, I must say. Because they brought it back to the originals. They, they stopped making it like 20 freaking animal characters. And they brought it down. They brought their story down. <clears throat> Excuse me. They brought their story down to Sonic and Tails, where it, where it has been for a long time. Um... Yeah, and it's it's weird to see where Sonic Lost World went. They had a lot of the game mechanics, such as the colors, which is essentially Sonic's power-ups. Uh, they brought those back into Sonic Lost World. Um, the levels were varied, 
in uh, style and gameplay. Uh, they had a different story, definitely. Um, a little weird that Eggman and Sonic would be teaming up um, to stop another villain set, but there you go. Um, and they still kept the characters list down. You only saw Sonic and Tails and Eggman, really. I mean, Amy and Knuckles sometimes showed up, but that was about it. Um, and I don't think the story is necessarily the issue with Sonic Lost World. It's definitely the gameplay. What Sonic Lost World tried to add was some elements that just weren't Sonic. And I think that's an issue they always have. And what I mean by that, I remember reading a Game Informer article where... The developers were talking about how they really took inspiration for this game from uh, Super Mario Galaxy in terms of how you move uh, through a level and how you progress. Um, you know, just jumping, jumping around various areas, not always being in just one straight path, um, which Super Mario Galaxy did, and I think they did well. I don't think Sonic Lost World lended itself to that kind of gameplay. Um, and I don't know if there could have been a better gaming development style that would have been able to do it. But from my perspective, Sonic doesn't lend itself to that kind of gameplay. Because they also tried to incorporate parkour elements. Uh, and what I mean by that is they didn't always have a floor for you to run on odd enough for Sonic, a running character. They didn't have a floor for him to run on. So they gave you um, walls to uh, jump around on and uh, just run run on, essentially. Uh, but they didn't let you stick to those walls automatically. Like They might have in Super Mario Galaxy in terms of a shifting gravity. Um, no, they just had you run on that for a little bit and then you had to switch walls and you had to jump around. And it was, it was parkour nonsense trying to cross with Super Mario Galaxy. And it was just... It ended up being not good. Um... Like, I played through a lot of it, and I thought it was okay. Like, it was playable, and that's a lot more than some Sonic games can say. But, it just didn't lend itself to being a great Sonic game. Um, I, think an issue they, I think an issue that they tried to do is they tried to steer away from what a core Sonic game is. And that was so disappointing, because that's what I felt I got out of when I was playing Sonic Colors. You know, a core 2D platformer. Now, I'm not going to say Sonic Colors was perfect, but it was damn good. It was damn good. Because it was, it, was, it was running, which is what Sonic is. It's, it's tight platforming mixed with uh, high-octane speed. And Sonic Lost World didn't give you that. They didn't give you the speed, and they didn't give you the tight platforming. They, like, gave you half of each because it wasn't an auto-run with Sonic in Sonic Lost World. You had to hold down a button, otherwise he would just kind of jog. And then the platforming was weird because there weren't, there weren't branching paths like they were trying to initiate. Um, and what I mean by that is there were two or three different ways you could have gone through a level, high, low, medium platforms to jump through. Uh, it's a general gaming... Um, Gaming, uh, gaming aspect, gaming interpretation. I don't know. Anyway, um, it's, a, it's, it's a general gaming mechanism is what I meant to say. Sorry about that. Um, but anyway, it I, Sonic Lost World, it tried to be too many things that just weren't Sonic. And it was really disappointing because I was really looking forward to it. It was looking really good. Uh, but it just ended up failing. And I'll always kind of wonder... Deep down inside, was there something else to this game? Were the developers trying to do something that just didn't make it through? Was it an issue of, sh of Sega just trying to shove it out? 
you never really know. You never really know. And that is just a shame to see. Ah, but on that depressing note, I want to thank everyone for joining me here at the Geek Galaxy video game show. Um, I'm going to do a little plug-in real quick, just in terms of uh, where else you can find me and where you can find me now and forevermore. Um, I run a blog, as I mentioned before. It is called thegeekgalaxy.blogspot.com. If you want to stop on by, uh, it'd be totally cool. I've written some articles here and there uh, about uh, various things. I write about movies. I write about video games. Um, I haven't written about comic books yet, uh, but I'm going to get there eventually. And I have written about TV shows, actually, as well, uh, about some of the TV shows that I'm kind of interested in. Um, so you can give me, you can go check it out, give me some feedback, maybe ask me, maybe send me a request if there's something you want to see. How would you send me a request though? It's kind of interesting. Well, here's what you can do. You can follow me on Twitter at DaveGable64, D-A-V-E-G-A-B-E-L-6-4. You can do the same thing with Instagram. I have the same address. Uh, or you can check me out on Facebook at David Gable. Um, yeah. <laughs> David Gable. Uh, look for me. I'll be uh, wearing a red hat, and I will be behind a cannon with a crazy face, because that's what I did when I was in Norway. Um, until next time, then, uh, I want to thank everybody for stopping by, um, and I hope to see you later. Geek Galaxy out. <laughs>